I want to read a verse that we're going to be focusing on today, kind of the backdrop of our message. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make straight your path. I love we can sing that out, how great you are, is because we serve a God that's going to make our path straight. I don't know what you walked in here with today. I don't know what's on your heart or your mind. You might feel like your path has come up against some obstacles. You can take heart and you can trust God today. Let's pray and hear what God wants to say to us. Heavenly Father, we just love you. God, we praise you and we thank you for how great you are. Thank you, God, that even sometimes in our circumstances might not look great, but God, you're still a great God. You're still faithful. You're still guiding and directing. God, we pray that you would speak to us today. God, that we would hear your heart and what you want to say to us today. God, we love you and we praise you. In your name we pray. Amen. Hey, before you're seated, give a high five to your neighbor. Tell him, go Cowboys. And uh, that's no, you don't want to do that? Okay, all right, whatever. God will bless you if you do, but that's up to you. Um, so, hey, I'm uh, so excited to be here today. Um, it is my first time preaching at Project Church, so um, I'm excited. Hey, that's great because the other two services did not cheer that loudly. So I appreciate you guys already already my favorite audience. Um, but, no, I'm excited just to be a part of Project Church and what God is doing through all of us together as a faith community. And uh, just an update, you know, my wife and I, Kristen, are family life pastors, and we've been already at work uh, just doing some things with the kids downstairs. And, and if you have a kid, I want to encourage you, go down there and check that out. See what their service is like while we're up here. Uh, my kids are loving it and having a great time. I know some of your kids are too. And maybe you have some friends that have families, and you're like, hey, it is rocking at Project Kids. You need to bring your family and be a part of this because it's an awesome environment for a few reasons. We have some amazing volunteers. Can we give it up for volunteers um, in any avenue, any area of Project Church? You guys realize this does not happen without volunteers without people giving up their gifts, their time. And we have some awesome ones serving in Project Kids, um, loving on your kids, keeping your kids safe and protected. Um, it's an awesome environment for your kid to have fun, have a great experience, but also they are learning about the love of God on their level. And so we're raising up kids that are going to know and believe that they can trust in God no matter what, that he has a plan for them. And I think that's awesome to raise up kids that know that there's a God who loves them, there's a God who has a purpose for them, and there's a God who has a plan and a future for them. And so we're excited about what's happening with families here at Project Church. Um, and it's an important for our kids to understand that, but it's also important for us because we understand that we live in a culture that is trying to shape our identity for us. They're, they're trying to tell you how to act, who to be, how you should be, all these different things. They're trying to shape your identity, and we're in this series called Identity Theft. Pastor Caleb opened it up last week, uh, so awesome, talking about we need to lay down and let go of our feelings of inadequacy. Those times where we feel like we just don't measure up, and he did such a great job kind of opening that up and leading into that. And the next few weeks, I want to encourage you to do whatever you can to be a part of this series. 
jump in fully. You know, you can get in a small group even, a community group, and you can discuss these things even in further detail. But there's so many avenues to plug into this series. And I want to encourage you, make it a point to be with us on Sundays as we unpack. We're going to look at a few different topics over the next number of weeks. Like one of them is laying down our longing for approval. Um, Some of us, that's just a weight that we care. We're going to talk about how to lay that down. We're going to talk about laying down our right to be offended. Like some of you are offended that I just said that. I can't wait till you join us in a few weeks to talk about that. Um, But we're going to talk about laying that down. We're going to talk about laying down our fear of failure. You know, we got to redefine what failure is in our culture and lay down that fear of it. We're going to talk about laying down our earthly inheritance. And all of this is so we can take up the identity God has and created for us. And so today I'm excited to talk to you on the topic of laying down my need for control. Laying down my need for control. Let's just have a moment of honesty. Anybody with me, raise your hand. You have a little bit of control freak in you. Anybody anybody with me? Now, some of you, here's a test. If you were, like, really tempted to, like, raise your spouse's hand or your neighbor's hand, you might be a control freak. You, you may want to pull out a pen and paper, take some notes, because um, this might be for you. We all have areas in our life that, that we like to control, right? Like, there's certain areas, some of us are different. Um, for me, growing up, I had two sisters, two older sisters. Um, I like to say my parents made a mistake the first two times, got it right with me, but my sisters don't appreciate that. So, but, but I was the only boy, and my middle sister, Kelly, and I, we had a lot of battles growing up. We were closest in age, and we were as about as opposite in personality as you can be. So, see, now me, growing up, just, just little backdrops, you guys get to know me a little better. It's my first time. I want to feel comfortable with you. This is a safe place, so don't judge me. But I had a little bit of control issues growing up. I was the one who was like, there's a rule. You're supposed to follow those rules. Like, you don't need to ask why. That's I, a control freak. Amen. I love it. God is releasing you right now. <laughs> I see freedom happening in this moment. Um, but, but. I grew up, and if there was a rule, I didn't need to know why the rule was in place. I just obey it. Like, little example, like for me, my school growing up, elementary, would give awards at the end of the year for different things, but one of them was perfect attendance. And if you got perfect attendance, you got the most amazing fake glitter gold on the side, signed by your principal sheet of paper that said you had perfect attendance. And I really wanted that piece of paper. So, like, I, from kindergarten to fifth grade, did not miss a day of school. Like, after that, I missed a whole lot. But before that, I did not miss a day of school. In fact, we were coming home once from vacation. I made my parents almost drive through the night to get me to school on time because I wanted that award. And because you're supposed to be in school, you're supposed to pay attention, and I was going to follow the rules. And I wanted that. My sister is a questioner. Some of you are like, amen, that's me. I'm a free spirit. I'm a questioner. Like, and what I mean by that is if there's a rule, that just means it's optional to my sister. If there's a bench and somebody put a sign there that says, wet paint, do not touch, I would be like, well, obviously there's a reason they don't want you to touch it, so get away from it. I would, like, walk on the other side of the street, get away from My sister would be like, well, how wet is it? Like, how long is it? Maybe it's dry now. How long is it? Like, when they say don't touch it, does that mean I can't sit on it? Can I touch it with my finger? Like, can I breathe on it? Like, that's like my sister. She would question things. So what this would do growing up, it caused us to, as my parents would say, butt heads. We'd get in some disagreements because I wanted to control her. She needed to fall in line. 
and we'd get into arguments. And, and here's the thing. I didn't just want my sister to see my point of view. I didn't even just want my sister to understand my point of view. I wanted her to agree and accept my point of view as the right point of view. Like, I, it really frustrated me if she did, was not in agreement with me. I wanted to control that situation. God has blessed me with three kids, and one of them has that gift of control freak. My son, Brayden, seven years old. We can tell him, hey, Brayden, you got to get ready for school. you got to get dressed. You need to make your bed, get everything prepped, get ready. We will hear Brayden from his room, Mom, Dad, Bree's not obeying. Bree's my daughter who's in the middle. She's, she's five, kindergartner. And, and he's like, Bree's not getting dressed. You told her to get dressed. Bree's not getting dressed. He's trying to control her. I go into Brayden's room. He's chilling in his tidy white. He's not dressed. And I'm like, bro, you're disobeying but calling out her disobedience because you want to control her. Like he has control freak issues. We're praying for him, and hopefully he meets Jesus because he needs some assistance. But I found Pastor Craig Rochelle has written a couple books. Maybe you heard of him. He has this little church in Oklahoma. Um, it's a massive church if you know who he is. But um, he, wrote, I, he found a version of the scripture I love in, in Proverbs. Uh, Trust in the Lord with some of your heart. And lean on your own understanding. In some of your ways, acknowledge him, and you will make your path straight. This version he found is the CFV. It's the control freak version of Proverbs. Now, just so you don't stone me or call me a heretic, we made that up. That is not really in the Bible. Some of you very controlling, legalistic people are really mad at me right now. And again, we're talking about offense. In a couple weeks, come back. You'll get saved. It'll be awesome. So, um, but the real thing, let's read it again just to remind us. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your path. Here's the reality. All of us in some areas of our life like to have control. Maybe for some of you it's at home. Maybe for some of you it's at work. Maybe it's relationally with your spouse or your kids. Maybe it's your finances. But all of us, there's some area where we really want control. And here's a key thought I want to leave us with today. I really, if, this, if you remember nothing else, this I want you to take. And this idea of the cycle of fear. And here it is, is the more we try to control, the more we fear losing control. The more we fear losing control, the more we try to keep control. And this cycle just keeps going on and on. And here's the reality. The control issues, really the foundation of it is fear. We are afraid of what's going to happen if we don't control this situation. I'm afraid because I don't know this outcome, so I'm going to control this situation. I'm afraid of what this person's going to say, so I need to control this relationship. I'm afraid I'm going to run out of money, so I need to control my finances. It's really birthed in fear, and fear can be a crippling thing. I mean, fear can literally paralyze you. In fact, going back, my son, again, um, our family, we love Disneyland. Um, we're big Disney people. That person just became my favorite with that woo. Um, because like, like my family, we love it. We go a lot. We really love Disneyland. I know some people are like, ah, oh, Disneyland's too expensive, too long lines. That's all right. Like, like Jesus will help you. It's okay. Like I really love Disneyland. Some people are like, oh, we boycott Disneyland. I actually love people who boycott Disneyland because then it means the lines are smaller for me when I'm there. So if you're boycotting, 
let me know so I can go then and it'll be less lines. So um, just side note, um, don't be offended. Um, but so I love Disneyland, right? So we were at Disneyland about two years ago and we were about to get on a ride and my son freaks out, like terrified to go on this ride. Like we're having to like, we're convincing him we still love him. Like, he still is our kid. Like, we're not going to kill you on this ride. Like, it's going to, like, he was afraid. I don't know if he thought Mickey was in there with the dagger or something. I don't know what was going on in his mind, but he was freaking out. And now some of you are like, why would you take a five-year-old on Splash Mountain? Yo, it was the Nemo ride. We were about to get on Nemo, and he's freaking out. I'm like, what is wrong with you? So I punched him. No, I didn't do that. I'm I'm kidding. I did not do that. I'm not that kind of dad. But I start talking to him, and we begin to get to the bottom of what he was so afraid of. As if many of you maybe know the Nemo ride. Maybe you haven't been there in a while. It's the submarines. You get in the submarine, and that didn't scare him. That seemed okay. But the submarine goes around, and it hits this waterfall, and you can't see where it goes. And so the unknown freaked him out. He was so afraid of what he did not know. He was afraid of what happened when the submarine went into, the, and then so it like paralyzed him. Now, just to kind of rest your fears, we went on it. He loved it. He's good. We didn't need counseling or anything. He's okay. But like that fear was crippling him. Something amazing, a fun ride, a great experience to him was almost missed because of his fear. And he was like, I, I don't know what's happening there, so I'm going to control myself. And what I can, well, how I control myself is I lose my control for you and freak out. And he was afraid, and we're like, bro, that's not, but, but that's what happens a lot of times is our fear of the unknown causes us to lose trust in God and take control of our situation. In fact, this guy we're looking at today, Abraham, was a control freak. Now, many of you, if you grew up like me, I grew up in church my whole life. Um, I was born and raised in church. Um, I went to church back in the days where we had like, three, four services, and then you'd come back just for an extra portion at Sunday night. And then we'd come get some extra Jesus juice on Wednesday. Like we had to come back again. Sometimes we'd have a preacher come through town and they'd do like revival meetings. We'd be there like Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. I was like sleeping at the church. Like I was always at church. And if you grew up in church like me, when you hear the name Abraham, songs immediately flood your mind. Like some of you, you can't help, but you want to get up and do the motions right now. Like Father Abraham and man, he's not. Some of you have no idea what that is. And you're probably better for it. But the old school Christians are like, yo, I love me some Father Abraham. Like that song, right? So Abraham, though, had some control issues. And just to kind of catch you up, whether you know the story or not, Abraham, his original name was Abram. He was an artist formerly known as Abram. Abram and Sarai, who later became Sarah, they, they, they were kind of living their life. Things were good. And God came to Abram in Genesis chapter 12, and he said, I got a mission for you. I have a plan. I'm going to make you into a great nation. Like, I'm going to give you descendants. You won't even be able to number them. That's how amazing it's going to be. And he said, here's what I need you to go. I I need you to go somewhere. You're going to take your tribe. You're going to take your crew, and you're going to go. Abram's like, all right, cool. Like, this God is calling us. This is amazing. Where do you want us to go? He goes, I'll tell you on the way. He goes, you just got to go. So Abram does it. Crazy obedience, right? Like he's, he picks up his tribe, gathers his crew, and they begin to go not knowing where they're headed. And so they head out, and God says, I'm going to make you into this great nation. Here's the problem. They didn't have any kids. He, he and Sarah had no children. 
And we begin to see a pattern. If you follow, we don't have time to dive into all of it, but I start in Genesis 12, begin to read. There's some amazing things that happen in the life of Abraham. And we see a pattern of taking control when he lacks trust. When he can't see the outcome, when he can't see the future, he begins to take control. In fact, in Genesis chapter 20, we're not going to take time enough, but briefly they're coming into Egypt, right? And as they enter in, Abram begins to get worried because um, in the Hebrew it says she was fine. It didn't really say that in the Hebrew, but um, he thought his wife was good looking. And he was like, they're going to take her from me. The Egyptian leaders are going to take because they could do what they wanted. And they're like, we're going to make her ours. We're going to take her from you. So he lies to them and he says it's his sister. There's a bunch of chaos that ensues from that. But we see a pattern where Abraham gets nervous and takes control of a situation. The one we're going to look at today Genesis chapter 16, and um, God had made this promise, you're going to have these children, and it had been a long time since that promise. Some time had passed, and they're starting to get a little worried. Like, Sarah is looking up, I ain't getting any younger, God. Like, what's going to happen here? And so Genesis chapter 16, verse 1, it says, Now Sarah, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar, and Sarah said to Abram, Behold, Now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. And here's a side note. As I was reading this, this jumped out at me. Because I was like, here's what happens a lot of times, is we start out following God. We start out saying, God, I love your plan. God, how great is our God? I won't sing anymore, I promise. But, like, how awesome are you, God? And then bumps along the way come, and we lose sight and we forget those promises. We forget that calling. We forget where God said we were going. We can't see the promise of God, so we begin to lack faith. Remember, God called Abram and Sarah to be a great nation, that they're going to have many descendants. At this point, they had no kids. So it's turned from God promised us kids to God is preventing me from having children. Sarah begins to twist it around because she lacks faith in what God promised. She loses trust in what God said. And they said, we better figure this out because if God's going to do something, we need to help him along. I don't know about you, but I get in trouble every time I try to help out God. Like, like newsflash, God is pretty big and can handle things on his own. He doesn't really need my help. And they begin to help him, and it just becomes chaos. It says, go into my servant, that it may be I shall obtain a child by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarah. Husbands, this is just like free advice. I don't care who it is. If they're telling you to sleep with some other woman, like, don't listen to that voice. Like, it ain't going to go good for you, Okay. Like, this is not going to go good. Like, rule of thumb, never sleep with a girl named Hagar. It's just not going to be good for you, okay? Like, so just things are not going to turn out good. So after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as wife. And he went in and slept with Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked at contempt on her mistress. So, so Abram, they're kind of getting worried, not trusting God, trying to take control of the situation. They make some plans themselves. This uh, Hagar, she gets pregnant, gives birth to Ishmael, and chaos immediately begins to ensue because of their lack of faith and they lost sight and trust in God. Chaos began to come into their situation that they tried to control. If we go further down the story, we do see that God ultimately is faithful, as he always is, and he provides Sarah with Isaac. 
the one that he had promised. You could go to today, still this day, there is fighting between the descendants of Ishmael and the descendants of Isaac. If you follow kind of religious lines, uh, Muhammad, the Muslims, Palestinians, their lineage traces back to Ishmael, and there's continued fighting with the line of Isaac, the Jews, Christians, different areas like that. You can go to parts of the world today and still see this holy war that's going on. All because one man and one woman said, man, I'm kind of worried. God doesn't know what he's doing. I'm going to take control of this situation. They decided to jump in and take control. So my question to us today and what we can kind of get from this is what is it you're trying to control today? What is it in your life that you're trying to take control of today? Is there something in your life where you're like, man, God gave me a promise, but I don't see the fulfillment. I don't see how it's going to happen. So I'm going to take control of the situation. Maybe it's someone in here and you're single. And you were like, God promised me a a Christian spouse, maybe it's a single lady, and you're like, man, I need a Christian man. And you were looking for a Christian man, and that wasn't happening, so you found a semi-Christian man who, who like, kind of came to church sometimes. And that's kind of gone on too long. You're like, I just need a man. Like, yo, I'll, I'll get them saved later, evangelism, dating. Like, I just need something here. Like, have you compromised a little bit trying to take control of a situation? Because you're afraid God won't provide. Maybe it's our finances, and you work hard for your money, and that's your money. And every time Pastor Caleb or somebody else gets up here, Pastor Jason, anybody talks about our act of worship, of giving back to God, of our resources, inside you're kind of gritting your teeth. And be like, you ain't getting my money. Be like, that's my money. I control where it goes. I say, where, like, we, we, we're going to control this because we think we know better and can control our finances better than God. And we control that. Maybe it's a job. And your dream job opens up. And you're like, oh, I'm going to apply for this job. And you're filling out that application. And you add a few initials behind your degree. Or, or some life experience that maybe you saw somebody else experience. You're like, I could have done that. And so you add that to your resume and you exaggerate it a little bit. And you justify saying, like, God, when you give me this job, when you give me this promotion, do you know what I can do for you? So you kind of help him out a little bit, like, and you try to control the situation. What are you trying to control today? Maybe it's an area of our life where we can't afford some things, but we charge it or take out an unwise loan. That one hurts a little bit. I'm going to keep moving quickly, so I don't want to offend nobody. But what are you trying to control today? A couple questions, a few questions I want to ask you when it comes to control. The first one is, is it worth my concern? The, the area we're trying to control, is it worth my concern? There's a story of Jesus, which, side note, if you want to read some amazing stories of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is a great place. Just see the life of Jesus. Like, there's some awesome things that happen. In fact, wherever Jesus went, crowds gathered. Like, like people wanted to see what was going to happen. Like, he just drew people in, and there's a story in Luke where Jesus goes to this house, and there's two sisters there, and one of them is similar to my sister, the free spirit. Like, like she's just basket. Jesus is here. I just want to be at his feet. I love you, Jesus. Like, like everything is awesome. And her sister Martha is, like, ticked off. 
She's the one who has everybody, everybody's drink is filled up. She's got the cheese dip on the table. She's got the pillows fluffed. She's got vacuum lines in the floor because that's spiritual and godly. And so, like, she, she's, like, got everything perfect. And every time she walks by to fix something out, she looks at her sister like, would you get up and do something? Like, you're so irresponsible. Like, she's so concerned with what her sister's doing or not doing. And Jesus And Luke says to Martha, says, but the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. So many people are like Martha, where you're so concerned with everybody else's business that you're so anxious. Like like some of us, we, we wake up more tired than when we went to bed because we're so anxious about what's going to happen today. Like we're worried because we have that meeting we got to get to and, oh, my gosh, my car might not start or the tire might blow out or a sniper might kill me or like, like a dog might like I don't Like we're so worried that like even some people like physically their body hurts, the muscles are tense because you're so anxious about what might happen today. You know what a great place to be able to see this idea and answer this question is this, if it's worth my concern or not is social media. I don't know how many of you frequent social media, but social media can be a great thing. There's a great tool, but a a, a good thing can become really bad if we let it, and it'll steal your focus. It'll sap your energy, and it'll just frustrate you so much in life. And here's the thing, like newsflash, this is going to free some of you up. Like, are you guys ready? You do not have to comment on somebody's post. I won't do that. Media guys get mad at me. Like, you don't have to leave a comment on somebody's post you disagree with. It's an amazing thing. You can scroll on. Some of you, that needs to become your control freak mindset is scroll on. You're just going to say that and say, I'm scrolling on. You're going to go home today and you're going to, like, be some bum and then your wife's going to be like, scroll on. She's going to scroll on by you. Like, because, like, some of us, we just got to scroll on. Like, we waste so much energy trying to convince someone on social media that our way, you're like me with my sister. My way is right. I want you to understand it. I want you to see it. And I want you to agree with it. You better put a like there. And I want a heart right now. Like, come on. So, like, that's what a lot of us, it's not our concern, though. We're spending so much time. And here's what I've discovered in the church sometimes is we're more concerned with winning an argument than we are winning a relationship. We're more concerned with convincing somebody I'm right than worried about that relationship. And we spend our time trying to control things that shouldn't be our concern. You can keep scrolling. You can pass by, but we let it waste our time. So is it worth my concern? This thing I'm trying to control, is it worth my concern? Next question, is it even mine to control? Is it even mine to control? And now here's the kind of preface I want to give you is there is a difference between control and preparing or planning ahead. There's a difference between being prepared and being responsible and then trying to control things. In fact, James tells us, come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such town and spend a year uh, there, trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Uh, like our life is short, but we spend so much time trying to control other things. So I have to ask, like, is it even mine to control? Sometimes as 
a pastor, you get to counsel or meet with couples that want some advice, they want some counsel, whatever it is. And a lot of times in relationships, what you see is maybe this side, maybe it's the husband saying, well, if she would just do this, things would change. If they would stop doing that, or you come over to this side, if he would stop doing that, or if he would change this, and they're saying if he would that, if she would that, if they change, and they spend their marriage trying to control the other. Newsflash, you can't control your spouse. Like you can't, you know who you can control? You're not going to like it. Just spoiler alert, you. You're the only one you can control. You, the only person you can control is the person in the mirror. You have control how you respond to your employer, to your boss, to your spouse. You can't control them. You can't change them. But you know what you can do? Maybe it's a boss who, like, man, they're always on you. They were, they're not respectful, and you're like, I hate them. I just can't stand it. And you go into work angry every day. What you can do is you can wake up tomorrow, and you can go into work and do everything as unto the Lord. You can go into your, your job and say, man, how can I serve my coworkers today? How can I make their day better? How can I ask them what, what's going on? How can I get to know them a little bit more? And you don't want to know an amazing thing? When you begin to control you and you begin to change you, it's amazing how your circumstances begin to change. Like all of a sudden, that coworker's a little nicer. You can stand them a little bit more. All of a sudden, when you change yourself, your wife begins to love you a little bit more. Like, when you take a shower and clean up, you might get a date. Like, when you begin to control yourself, like, things begin to change. So you can't control. So if a loved one maybe got a diagnosis from the doctor, it might be terminal. Can you change their health? You can't control that. Maybe it's your kids or their future. Some of you here are like, no, I will control them. Like, can you really control your kid's future? I mean, James just told us we can't even control our own future. So is it even ours to control? It's a question we have to ask. And then the last question is, is it for God alone to control? Is it for God alone? Philippians chapter 4 says, do not be anxious about anything. Like imagine, just stop right there. Imagine your life free of anxiety. Some of you are like, I don't even know what that would be like. Like, if you could not be anxious, some of us are so worried about everything going on. It says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And I love this. It says, it doesn't say, and then God will give you everything you want. And then you'll win the lottery. Tithe if you do, but um, side note. It says, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart's and minds forever. When we begin to say, God, I can't control this, I'm going to trust in you, immediately God gives us his peace. You may be in a situation, and you're like, I don't know how this is going to turn out, but I have peace that God's going to do it. We look back to Abraham. God finally was faithful, even though they sidetracked, they hijacked God's plan a little bit. But God said, hey, I'm still a man of my promises. I'm still faithful. God blesses them. They have Isaac. So Abraham's thinking, man, this plan is working out. God, you're doing what you said. And then God comes and asks him to do something crazy. I don't know if you've been in a situation where you feel like you've been following God. You trusted God. Life seems to be good, and then God asks you to do something crazy. 
Like, like you get the job of your dreams and God says, hey, I need you to go to a new job. You, you finally, you purchased the house that you've wanted so long and you love it and you brought your babies home there and God says, hey, I need you to move to a new state. You'd be like, God, don't you know? Like he's shocked or something. God, have you not seen? They're like, God, why would you ask me to do something crazy? Abraham finally is walking out the promise God gave him and God comes to him and says, hey, Isaac, the, you know the boy I gave you? You know the boy I blessed you with? The one I made a promise all these descendants are going to come from? Right? You know him, Abraham, right? I need you to sacrifice him. I need you to give him up. Like, I tried to put myself in the story, and I'm like, as a dad with one son, like, I can't imagine what Abraham was going through. In fact, the Bible tells us that as they made their way to this journey for the sacrifice, he brings Isaac. Isaac's carrying, like, the wood and the stuff to make the sacrifice. Like, he's probably thinking, I get to go with Dad on the sacrifice. This is like a rite of passage for Isaac. Like, he's bopping along. He's thinking, this is great. Like, I love you. You love me. Sorry, I have young kids. It's just, but, but he's, like, thinking, this is amazing. And as they're going, he's looking. He's like, I got an axe. I got wood. Hey, uh, Dad, what are we going to sacrifice? Like, where's the animal? Abraham goes, you. No, I'm just kidding. He didn't do that. But, like, can you imagine Abraham in this moment, can you imagine telling your son, you're going to be the one? But he looks at him and he says, the Lord will provide the sacrifice. Old Abe wouldn't have done that. Old Abe is Abraham, in case you're not following. Abraham, before, would have said, I'm going to control. I'll find an animal right now. Let's go go get that one. Like, he would find it, but he's, he's learned some things. He's learned to trust God. He says, the Lord will will provide the sacrifice. They get to the point, build the altar. He actually takes Isaac, lays him on the altar. The Bible tells us he's got knife in hand. Like, I'm just saying, that kid's going to have some daddy issues when he grows up. Like, I know some of you might have some rough stuff, but that's bad. And Isaac's, and finally God stops him because he sees that Abraham trusts him completely. And he says in Genesis 22, and Abraham lifted up his eyes, and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by the, by the horns. And Abraham went to look at the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that name of that place, the Lord will provide. You know, thinking back on my life, and I'm going to close with this. Is my life really, as I look back, it's really a testimony to the Lord providing. See, I grew up in church, like I said. I had what most people would think is a perfect family. I had my two sisters, my mom and dad, heavily involved in church. I never had a want or a need in my life. If there, I never had to worry about having school supplies. If it was a sport I was going, I had all the gear I needed. Like, I never worried. My families went on vacation. Again, from the outside, the perfect family. My dad didn't grow up like that. My dad grew up in an abusive alcoholic home. He would have to step in and fight my grandfather, his dad, so that his dad wouldn't beat my grandmother in an alcoholic rage. So he grew up fighting. Later on, he got saved. Him and my mom got married. And so when his business started doing well financially, he made a commitment saying, my kids will never experience what I did growing up. So we had more than we ever needed. I thought my life was great. And I remember I was 13 years old. My dad was taking a trip to visit my grandmother, his mom, 
down in Southern California. And a trip that should have been about six, six and a half hours turned into eight, turned into 10, turned into the next morning. At this point, we had many people from our church at our house praying, friends of our family. We had no idea where my dad was. I remember as a young boy, 13 years old, I was walking up the stairs to my house and the way my house was, you could look out from the stairs out, there was a window on the front door and you could see down to see who's walking up. I remember like it was yesterday walking up those stairs, seeing a lady walking towards our door with a clipboard. I knew she was coming to tell me that at 13 years old, I would never see my father alive again. My dad loved God, but my dad lost trust in God. His business started to decline. Financially, he wasn't able to provide the way he had hoped he could. And he said, instead of trusting God's promises, instead of trusting God's plan for our life, he said, I'm going to control this situation. So when I was 13 years old, my father committed suicide. He took control of the situation. Here's something we have to understand. When we lose trust in God, and we try to control a situation, it affects far more people than just yourself. There's generations that are affected because of my dad's decision to control the situation. My kids will never know their grandfather. My sisters didn't have their dad to walk them down the aisle because he chose to control the situation. But here's what I came to tell you today, that in the midst of heartache, in a situation that might seem beyond control, that you have no hope, and you're like, God, where are you? God remains faithful. God brought people into my life. I would not be here today if it wasn't for the local church, if it wasn't for men and women that came in that God provided and helped me, and, and I was able to keep my eyes on Jesus and to keep my trust in Jesus. So the legacy that I leave as a dad doesn't have to be the same as my dad's. We can break family legacies in here. God can change the course of your family line. You may be here today and be like, my great-grandfather was an alcoholic. My grandfather was an alcoholic. My dad was an alcoholic. It's inevitable. That's what's in my family. You can break that family line today when we take, let go of control and trust in God. Maybe divorce has run rampant throughout your family. When you let go of control and say, God, I trust you with my marriage, he can give you a marriage that's built on the foundation of Christ so that your family does not have to go through that, so that your kids see two parents that love each other, that are committed to each other. Let go of the control today. I was able to keep my trust. I'm not a perfect dad. I'm not a perfect husband, even though I tell my wife I am all the time. I mess up all the time. But one thing I can tell you is I keep my eyes on Jesus and I trust his plan. Even if I don't see the outcome. In fact, my wife and I come in here to Project Church. We stepped down from a position not knowing where we were going. We just said, God, we trust you. We feel like you're moving in a new direction. And it wasn't until we said, okay, God, we'll obey you here that another door opened over here. See, Abram didn't know where he was going when God called him. You may be in that journey where you're like, God, where are you taking me? I have no idea where I'm headed. Keep trusting. Keep walking. Keep following God. He'll show you the plan. Don't be tempted to take control and say, God, let me help you out. Trust in God. 
Because God can do far more with your life when you keep your eyes on him and let go of control. If I would have tried to control my situation, I would not be here today. My kids wouldn't have the dad that they have. My wife wouldn't have the husband that she has. All because I say, God, I can't control this. I trust in you. Would you bow your heads with me?